We have a podcast. Diving, diving deep, deep, diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in the Utopia Football Podcast, a rare Wednesday edition. We usually record during the week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Today will be our normal mailbag episode just a day later, so apologies for it dropping if you're used to getting it on Tuesday afternoons. Uh, apologies for you getting it a day later. Um, I was busy at the uh, the Texas Bowl golf tournament yesterday. I've actually got a little anecdote from that that we'll get to in just a second, but welcome in. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast, Sports Radio 610. And joined, as always, by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. Um, John, I know that you are a gridiron legend. Like, literally, for those who listen to this podcast, there is a an honor that's bestowed upon several luminaries from the world of Texas football, past and present. And John is one of those. He's, you've got the gridiron legend moniker. And I don't know if you saw the video on my social media yesterday, John, of another gridiron legend, Wade Phillips sinking a 75-foot putt as a celebrity putter for my fivesome in the Texas Bowl golf tournament yesterday. Wade Phillips, GOAT. I retweeted it three times. I was out there John. for about an hour and a half. Then I had to get to the station for In the Loop, and I know it was a great event. Night before, we'd had the Legends dinner. About 70 of them showed up. It's so much fun to be part of that. And I tell you what's fun to be part of. Of all the coaches, players, and media people, in the state of Texas, there's only four media people in, among the gridiron legends. Late, great Dave Campbell, founder of Texas Football Magazine. Sports editor of the Waco Tribune Arrow for 44 years, who gave me my start in the business. Mickey Herskowitz, longtime columnist for the Post and Chronicle, who's written more than 80 books. Me and now Mark Berman. He was mm. the fourth in that class last year, Berman, this year, Berman. Bruce Matthews, the late Jamie Roots, uh, Trevor Cobb, uh, Murray Bowden, and Gary Joseph. And it's uh, it was always a fun three days to be part of that group that does so much for DePelchin's Children's Center in conjunction with uh, the Texans and David Fletcher, who runs Lone Star Marketing. And, and I'll tell you what, when I'm around those guys, I keep quiet and just listen to their stories. And then when you see Wade do something like he does, I'm guessing that's the longest putt Wade's ever sunk. And uh, it was perfect. Dude, it was, it's crazy. And like he, they, so it was on the 18th hole. It was a shotgun start. So it was our third hole, but we started on 16. We went 17, 18, and it's a par five. We played at Brayburn Country Club and we were on the green in two. So we're, you know, we're on the green, uh, you know, putting for Eagle. But at the 18th green, one of the ways that they raise money for DePelton Children's Center is that you can pay 25 bucks to let one of the legends that are basically sitting there under a tent drinking beer all afternoon, Wade's one of them, <laughs> you can pay the, the celebrity of your choice 25 bucks to putt for you, to putt for your team. And the, the benefit is, obviously, the money goes to charity, but if you do it, the benefit to you as a, as a golfer is that their stroke doesn't count towards your, towards your score for that hole. So... We we paid a few of them. There were a few of them up there. Richmond Webb was up there. There were a couple others who I can't recall. We let all of them take a shot at it. So 25, 20, it's a scramble. So there's just one ball. It's just our team up there has one ball up there. We let them each take a putt. Wade was the last one to go, and he sinks it from 75 feet. Just a 75-foot snake right in the hole. 
And um, it was it was so cool. But John, the coolest part, well, the coolest part was the charity component. The second coolest part, we got a double eagle for that hole. We got a two on that hole. So much that was such a scrutinized score of a hole that Greg Grissom came to me like twice to go. All right, are you sure you know? He was basically questioning whether or not I knew how to keep score in golf. I'm like, no, we were on in two, and the celebrity putter was weighed. And I showed him the video. I had the video of it. I showed him the video. I'm like, here's the proof. He, he sunk that putt. Um, I was a little insulted that Greg thought I was being either dishonest or stupid, one of the two. Well, I hope you guys uh, won the tournament. With we finished second. We finished second. Hour? We finished second, which is pretty good for a team that has me on it. Even if it is a scramble, <laughs> I didn't know you played golf till you said you were playing in that one. I've never, heard, I've never heard you mention it. I don't. I play. I play twice a year. I play in this tournament and another <laughs> tournament, and that's it. I, I, I like. I, I have a. I have a normal swing. I look like I know what I'm doing, swinging a club. But the truth of the matter is, there's, I'm, there's ten quirks going on with it where I'm sure I'm pulling my head out or whatever. And and so it took me a little while to get warmed up. But I had some good golf shots. We used my shot more than a few times on the on the. Uh, on the 18, you know, during the 18 hole. So it was a lot of fun. You're right, John. It's a great event, raises money for a great cause. Um, let's get to the Texans because we got a mailbag we got to get to uh, as well. Um, I guess as you and I are recording this, the Texans are getting ready to hit the practice field to get pr presumably indoors today because it's pouring rain outside um, and get ready for the New Orleans Saints. Is the biggest, I guess, the biggest question mark going on with the Texans right now, the status of Tank Dell, John? I think that's the biggest because he's such a big part of the offense. It's not always about what he does. Some of it's just about what he could do, which takes pressure off Nico Collins in two games where defenses have done everything they can to keep Collins from being targeted, Jacksonville and uh, Atlanta. Tank Dell's come up big in the first one, then he was doing well against the Falcons till he got his concussion. And it's rare for Texan to come back after he's left a game with a concussion in the next one. And I'll be surprised if he plays, but I can't wait to see what the strategy will be because John Manchie is not a speed demon or have the quickness or the acceleration or elusiveness that Tank Dale does. And uh, so I'm guessing he'll get more playing time as he did against the Falcons. Yeah, and this is a good defense they're going up against with the Saints. We'll preview it more on uh, on the episode later this week, our last episode before the weekend. But this is a uh, this is a very good defense that they're going up against with the Saints. So they and they need to find answers. It looked like the Falcons figured a few things out for some teams against the Texans. There's not much to figure out against the run. They just stink at running the football right now. But as far as C.J. Stroud goes, they played a lot of two high safeties on C.J. Stroud. You know, forced him to he wasn't able to take a lot of deep shots in this game or in the game last week, I should say, on Sunday. If there's no Tank Dell and the Saints are doing some of the things the Falcons did, it's going to be awfully tough to extend the field on Sunday as well, I would say. One of the best things about Stroud is he doesn't try to force the ball down the field against two, two deep coverage, quarters, three deep coverage, because they have ingrained in him. That's the best kind of pass to throw an interception. Now, they weren't able to hit Nico on the slant routes, and usually when you're playing at least two deep coverage, you should be – running the ball better, and they were terrible when they tried to run wide right especially. Now, that had worked against Pittsburgh, but it didn't work against Atlanta. They had their most success running between the tackles with Damian Pierce. So I'm thinking that Bobby Slowick may not be pitching the ball right or without Tank Dell. He can't run reverses anyway, but they were awful when they tried to run to the right side. Yep. 
Um, all right, so we'll keep an eye on the injury report. I would say probably at best, Tank Dell is going to be listed as limited with a concussion. Um, so we'll see. Other than that, John, I'm trying to think. Like they've they've gotten fairly healthy here in a in a pretty you know. They, I think Juice Scruggs is probably the biggest name we're waiting to hear on if he's going to come back anytime soon. He's eligible to come back from IR anytime now, right? Yeah, they they also need Tavier Thomas, who's not on IR. He practiced last week. I thought he was going to play. Didn't they signed Jason Barrett, who uh, didn't play last year for the 49ers because he blew out his Achilles. Oh, the TCU the, guy? The TCU? I say TCU kid. He's got to be 30. 32 years old. And they okay. signed him today. So it shows you they're still worried about either Tavier Thomas or Shaquille Griffin. And you hope when four weeks are up that Derek Stingley Jr. can come back. But they still got injuries in the secondary that are causing them a problem, especially they making Desmond Ritter look like a Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, so we'll keep an eye on things over at NRG Stadium. We'll have a preview of the game on um, again the game against the Saints later this week, I, I believe, because we dropped this one on Wednesday. Next episode is going to drop on Friday, just to give you guys a couple days to digest this one. So that'll be um, the we're certainly keeping an eye on Tank Dell and and what happens with him. Uh, this week. All right. Um, John general. No, actually, before we get to general news and notes, Stros Astros. Yeah, there you go. Sorry about that, James. Yeah, I heard they're playing James quick on the trigger with the graphics below there. Sorry, James. I had a senior <laughs> moment there and I'm not even a senior yet. Um, so, um, the, uh, the Astros are looking to finish up the Minnesota twins tonight in Minnesota, which would set up a, a, a just an awesome ALCS. I mean, the Rangers and the Astros, this is what we've been waiting for for the decade or so that the Astros have been in the same division with the Rangers is an actual meaningful postseason series against them. We'll get to that in a second. But game three, John, I, I wrote down in my notes for Payne and Pendergast before the show, I said, the like this that was a game three, the nine to one thrashing of Sonny Gray and the Twins was a, okay, those are the Astros type of game. Like, that's the Astros we've seen in the postseason for the last six years. You know, getting it done on the road, a few early runs, good starting pitching, and then the bullpen comes in and closes the door. Just textbook win. And the Sonny Gray hacks that uh, you and Seth Payne put on the starting pitcher at his worst game of the season. And not just the power hitting. I think that we ought to – I want to apologize – to Jose Abreu for all my criticism during the season because he was fantastic, has been in September, but he was terrible up to that point. And him t- hitting two 440-foot bombs, that's the first time in the StatCast era that uh, a guy's done that in the playoffs, and it was pretty unbelievable. They should be walking Alvarez. They should be treating him like pitchers used to do with Barry Bonds, just walking him even when there's – no outs, nobody on base because he torched them. And I thought it was a terrible official scorer's call on the first hit he had down the first baseline. Should have been a double. You had a first baseman who was left-handed. He would have had to backhand it, and I don't understand it. So instead of 500, he should be hitting even better. And uh, they're pretty awesome to watch. I would think, Sean, when you get beat up like that at home, it should be demoralizing. Do they really think that they're going to come back and win? If they do, it'll probably be because they've gotten to Jose Urquidy, who was outstanding in his spot start of six innings against Arizona. And I don't blame Dusty Baker for putting him out there. And uh, 
because give me him over a rookie like J.P. France in a pressure situation like this because he's pitched in three World Series. And I also think that uh, Yiner Diaz had his chance at DH, even though Michael Brantley is one of their best hitters against Sonny Gray. I don't know what the lineup will be, but I'm hoping Michael Brantley's back at DH and Yiner can enjoy the game on the bench. Well, the, are people upset that Arquiti's pitching this game, John? You made it sound like people are, are upset about it. No, they're not upset about it. They just don't put a lot of stock in Jose Arquiti because he yeah. was terrible when he sent most of the season until he, they put him in long relief and he got beat up like crazy and they left him in when they were trying to rest the bullpen. Okay. But no, I don't know anybody wanted J.P. France over him, especially – in light of his six-inning shutout performance against the Diamondbacks. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that. I, yeah, I just thought the way you talked about that, like you you don't like you said something like you don't begrudge Dusty's decision to put Urquidy in there over France. I'm like, I don't know anybody that does. I you know France, France was a revelation. He was a big surprise this year, but even he hasn't been good down the stretch. None of these guys have been good. No, other Hunter than Brown, terrible. If yeah. it wasn't for Jeremy Pena bailing out Hunter Brown, don't tell him any how many runs he would have given up in uh, the game. The play of the game yesterday was Jose or uh, Jose Abreu's home run in the first inning. Cause it gave you some length and some distance after one inning and it, you know, and it, and it, you know, you got, it accelerated getting Sonny Gray out of there, which was good. It got you up for nothing. The second most important play was Jeremy Pena's double play in the sixth inning with Hunter Brown. Cause it was bases loaded, uh, bases loaded one out. If that ball gets through, you know, Pena dives to his left, flips it to Altuve. Altuve does a great job of, of getting it over to first base. But if that ball gets through, then you're talking it's instead of six to one with the inning over, you're talking six to three with one out and runners on first and third. The tying run is coming to the plate at that point. Um, that was a massive, massive, massive play by by Jeremy Pena. Like it's one of those plays, John, where I can forgive Pena for not hitting with nearly as much power for the second half of the season. If he's making plays like that, like that, that play was. That play was more important than you know him tacking on a home run, you know, to make it seven to two or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that was a huge. That's going to turn out to be one of the most important plays in their postseason, maybe so far. Yeah, that home run since July fifth, and that's fine if he keeps playing defense like that. But I'll bet you after he had twenty last year and then went crazy in the playoffs, he might actually get one. But that play was fantastic. We're going to look back on that. Assuming we're just acting like they're going to advance, they should advance. We'll look back on that play by Pena after it's all over, like Chaz McCormick's catch in the World Series. Um, Texas Rangers versus Houston Astros ALCS on your excitement level from 1 to 10 is what, like a 15 probably, I would say? As high as it goes. We're a baseball state now. Both Cowboys and the Texans coming off losses. Uh, Texans – underdog against new orleans at home and i um i'm i'm so impressed with what the rangers have done to blow the division on the last day by losing three of four seattle then going on the road yesterday was the first time they've been at home since september 26 at the angels at seattle at tampa at baltimore and then they win they've been so Dominant. It's a classic case, Sean, of a team getting red hot at just the right time, and you hope that's what's happening with the Astros as well. No doubt. I don't want this thing to go to a fifth game. I don't need to see Pablo Lopez again no. in this series. I don't yeah, want although that. him versus Verlander would sure be exciting. No, it, it, it would look great on the marquee, no doubt about that. It would be a great WrestleMania main event, John, but I'm not here for WrestleMania. I'm here to move on to the next round. So 
Um, so let's shift some gears. We'll get to the mailbag in a second, but we do this uh, every Tuesday this week slash Wednesday episode. General news and notes, news and notes that John McClain brings to the table here on the Texans and uh, some numbers I'm sure that you got in front of you there, General, to dig into. Let's dig into the general news and notes right now. Most of them are going to be NFL, but I'm going to start with the Texans and I'm going to end with the Texans, both on CJ Stroud. If you think about this, Sean, every quarterback who's ever played in the NFL was rookie, but there's only one quarterback in NFL history that has played his first five games without throwing an interception, and that is C.J. Stroud, and he's getting well-deserved recognition around the country. Anthony Richardson now is on injured reserve. Report this morning he might miss eight weeks, not just four. Bryce Young threw three touchdown passes, but he had two more interceptions. He struggled big time. Now, here's some very interesting things going on. Right now, 49ers and the Eagles are unbeaten. Well, hang on. Let, can, let me react to the Stroud. Is, are, you, okay. is, are you moving on? Yeah, let me react to the Stroud thing here because you put some good stuff out there on that. I'm curious. I'm curious. Are you are you one of the folks that would like C.J. Stroud to just go ahead and get this interception out of his system right now? Do you feel like this streak is something that's uh, – that I, I don't say weighing on him. I don't think anything weighs on CJ Stroud, but you're using anything where you'd be, you'd think it might affect just how aggressive he might be that he, he's cognizant of the streak. Cause it's, it gets brought up to him all the time. Now. He's obviously thinking about it. He threw one right to Jesse Bates in his hands and he acknowledged that after the game and Bates dropped it. I can't remember another DB dropping one of his passes thrown right to him, which is one of the many things that's so impressive about him. But I think it'd be pretty cool if he went 17 games without an interception. If he's going <laughs> to throw too. one, throw it in a blowout. I do too. Or, John, if you're going to throw one, have it be one of those things where at halftime you have the ball like your own 40 on the last play and you're just launching it down the field and someone like fair catches it almost. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's not like a real interception, but it's enough to where people aren't talking about the streak with him anymore. I would say that would be an acceptable way to do it. I saw his dad this week that the Texans are second most drop passes in the league. I don't I remember, saw too. remember all those drop passes, but there have been no ricochets off receivers to into the hands of safety. And that's another thing. Usually quarterbacks throw a few of those and it's not their fault, but they haven't had one of those. Okay, let's move on to the unbeaten 49ers and Eagles. And the, one okay. of the main reasons they're unbeaten, opponents have not scored one point off a turnover. They're the only team in the league can say that. In each of the last three years, the team that had the best record or went to a championship game or both had the fewest number of points allowed off turnover. So that seems to be a measuring stick. If you're going to give up one, don't give up points. And the Texans only have two both fumbles. They're plus five. It's amazing. They're plus five, and yet they're only – Two and three. If they keep that up, you know they're not going to be allowed many points off turnovers. Well, the John, it's a great point about the Niners that you know they, they've given up. It was the Niners you're talking about, right? They've given up the Niners fewest, and Eagles. Neither Niners, has given up a point off of turnovers yet. Yeah. Well, that, that to me, that's the difference in the game on Sunday against Atlanta. It's the te yeah, the Texans were plus two in turnovers, but they scored they scored one field. They scored three points off those two turnovers. You know they. They scored, and and then there were the other two. So those were the those two drives were in the third quarter. Um, then there were the two drives in the second quarter where Atlanta committed silly penalties to knock themselves out of field goal range and punt the ball back to the Texans. You know, not a turnover, 
but something that for the for the Falcons kind of kept points off the board, and the Texans only turned those two opportunities into a field goal at the end of the half. So, so you had you you had those the four negative possessions right in a row, end of the second, beginning of the third, and the Texans only turned it into six points. It's a great point. I, you know, the, it's another way of illustrating what you're talking about. Yeah, the great teams give up very few points off of turnovers. The teams that are either mediocre or sit there and have to explain, hey, it's a play here and a play there. Those teams, those are the ones that don't capitalize on those opportunities, and the Texans did not capitalize on those opportunities on Sunday. 49ers and Eagles defenses have not allowed one stinking point after turnovers, but the That's 49ers crazy. are like the Texans. They've only committed two. And uh, road teams so far are 41 and 37. That's a 526 percentage. And that's the most after five games since 2019 when they okay. were 43-34-1. and one. They were 558 percentage, so home field advantage, kind of like in baseball with the Astros. It doesn't mean much. Yeah. I, that's funny, John. It's, so that's the best percentage. That's the best the percentage that, are, that the road teams have had since 2019, which makes me think like of all the years where the road teams would have actually probably flourished would have been 2020. Cause there are, there were no crowds during COVID. You know what I mean? Like that would be the year where I think that it would flip to the road teams just because there's no home field advantage. But, uh, but so 40, would you say there are 40, 41 and 37, you said 41 right and 37. Okay. 526 winning percentage. And the Texans have done it all so far this season. They've won at home. They've lost at home. They've won on the road. They've lost on the road twice actually lost on the road so um yeah so they've 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 uh they've filled the whole ledger so far this year the texans have the aggie who used to be devin a chain who's now devon a chan who's yeah. off to an incredible start but then was on injured reserve he has seven touchdowns from scrimmage it's the crazy. other running back where he mustered has eight they are <laughs> the first team to have two players with at least seven touchdowns from scrimmage through five games since the 1966 Cowboys did it and their players who did it, Bullet Bob Hayes and Dan Reeves and the 1962 Dallas Texans who became the Chiefs. They did it with Chris Burford and Abner Haynes. And so that Dolphins offense is special. Poor old HN now, he's going to be out at least four weeks, and that's too bad because he has been fantastic. Yeah, he's been good. I think the impressive thing about – uh, about Mostert and Achan being the two guys, you know, being the two guys to do that for however long you just laid out right there is the types of touchdowns they're scoring. First of all, they're rushing touchdowns, not passing touchdowns. A lot of them. I know some of them are passing touchdowns, probably a few of them, but the, these are two running backs. So these are largely running plays that we're talking about here to score touchdowns in a league where in a league that's become a passing league and on a team that is a passing team, you know, Tua is an MVP candidate right now. That's incredible to me. And the other thing that's incredible is how many of them are explosive touchdowns, especially with HN. You know, he's he is electric every time he gets his hands on the ball. And I just, yeah, I feel bad for him that uh with this um with this knee injury. And I feel bad for the HN fantasy owners, except the ones that I'm going against this weekend. Uh I don't feel bad for them at all. <laughs> but he's been a he was a fantasy revelation. He's been a fantasy darling, John, of people climbing over themselves to pick up. What is it now? Devon Achan? It's not Devin Achan anymore? It's Devon Achan. Would you advise that he change it to Achan because it's a little cooler than Achan? 
a uh, change it uh, back to a chain like it well, was in a and Well, and I, I think the, so the sense I get is we've been mispronouncing it all these years by saying a chain, and he just never corrected anybody. Could have um, been, but that is he's an Aggie, so it'd be easy to understand. Okay, but I think a chain is better. This is like I I'm sure you know this, John, because you're an historian. But back in the day, it was when he was at Notre Dame, his name was Joe Thiesman, not Joe Theismann. But Roger Valdeseri, the SID at Notre Dame back in the early 70s, said, no, let's change the pronunciation to Theismann because it rhymes with Heisman, and that'll help your candidacy. Ultimately, it was unsuccessful, but I like how Joe Theismann has just led in, uh, just leaned into it all these years and just said, okay, Roger, I'm just going to pronounce it this way for the rest of my life. I remember when the Cowboys drafted Tony Dorsett. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Brock Purdy is 10 and 0 as a starter. He's trying to eclipse the record of Big Ben in 04. Big Ben uh replaced touchdown Tommy Maddox, who was hurt, and ended oh up over that season and the next season winning his first 15 and starts. So he's 15 and 0. He's got five more to catch him and six to pass him. And considering how good the 49ers are, he just may do it. Uh, Purdy is the favorite to win the MVP of the league right now. If you had an MVP vote, John, who would your MVP be five weeks into the season? Hey, Brock Purdy, without a doubt. He's been fantastic. Really? Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, but there's still people out there, John, that just feel like, yeah, he's got such a great team around him and he's a seventh round pick. I'm, I'm beyond the seventh round pick thing. He's obviously a very good quarterback at this point. Most great, um, most great teams have great players around the quarterback. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So that's a little general news and notes for the people. Um, and I love these, John. Those are good I got stats. One more. You got one Texas. more? Okay. Okay. Bonus. Let's go. Actually, Let's go. I had several more, but we're hitting our 10 minute limit. Okay. I'm going to tell you a list of quarterbacks and you tell me who does not belong. Okay. I like this. <laughs> okay. Go. Of quarterbacks who've thrown for at least 1,400 yards and no interceptions yeah. in their first five games. Here's my list. Okay. One doesn't belong. Okay. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Peyton Manning. Yeah. Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson. Okay. CJ Stroud. Uh, I'm going to say Russell Wilson because he's the only one on that list that is a cornball. That he's that is completely corny <laughs> and hard to be around. I would hang out with the other four guys on that list. Even Mahomes, who can be a little corny himself, but he seems a lot of fun. But I know. Where you're going with this, John, because I know you're you're a nicer person than me, so you're not assessing the corniness of these people. I'm going to say it's C.J. Stroud because he's doing it as a rookie right now. Nope. What? I would love to hang out with Mahomes and get some free insurance so I don't have to keep paying that every month. No kidding. Uh, Peyton Manning never did it. Peyton oh, who's missing? Was, okay, I misinterpreted Peyton you. Peyton Manning mis- should okay. not be on that list I just gave. Because oh. he never threw for 1,400 yards without an interception okay. in his first five games of any season. C.J. Stroud, okay. another of the many examples of why he's been great. I, okay, I thought you meant like who, it, like one of these things is not like the other sort of thing. I didn't know that someone was literally a wrong answer to that trivia question. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So Peyton Manning. So, so Stroud is doing things that Peyton Manning wasn't doing. Well, Peyton Manning's hey, – that that's any season, right? Not just, any I mean, season. obviously yeah, any season. Yeah. 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 Cause Brady's on there. That's right. Okay. That was a good one, John, John, good general news and notes. Nice job. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, you want to get to some mailbag questions here? Let's do it. Let's do the mailbag. All right. At H O U mailbag at gmail.com. <clears throat> that is how you guys can get in touch with us with questions. We got John, we got a 
we've got, you know, every episode we do probably, I don't know, I've got like 10 here that I pick off and we get to like six of them. We're getting a lot of questions from overseas, John. I think we are big internationally right now, you and me. I think if we take our show on the road, there's like, we got questions from England and Mexico and um, we may have to start talking with a British accent, John. I'm just saying like on this, on this podcast. Uh, so work on that. We can do the show. Uh, I'm sure 610 would be happy to pick up the bill that we do this show uh, in London for a week. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, because the budget is flush with funds to go do things like that. Absolutely. All right. Let's start it off in England. Neil in Liverpool. Home of the Beatles, John. Liverpool, England. Hello. You... <laughs> Are you a Beatles fan, John? Did you listen to the oh, Beatles yeah, back in the Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They stuff. shaped my life. They they saved your life? Shaped. Oh, shaped. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Back when you were dropping acid back in the day, you fought like the Lucy in the I Sky with Diamonds. I did that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, Neil in Liverpool. Um, I know there's been a lot of criticism of the run blocking. Oh, here we go, John. John, this. I'm hitting pause here for a second. Neil's question. I'm glad he's bringing up this topic because this is something that's come up a lot lately. I know there's been a lot of criticism of the run blocking, but is it too early to question whether Damian Pierce is a good fit for Bobby Sloak's system? The likes of Shanahan and McDaniel seem to utilize quicker, shiftier running backs rather than a thumper like Pierce. Don't get me wrong. I love me some Damian Pierce, but I'm starting to wonder whether the run game issues are not all the run blocking. Is Pierce a square peg? In a round hole. Love you guys. Keep up the great work. That's from Neil in Liverpool. John, Damian Pierce, the floor is yours. It's amazing how many people in the media are trying to blame it on Pierce. Three left tackles, three, four left guards, three centers, and three right tackles they've had as their starters going back to the start of preseason. And as any coach will tell you, offensive linemen have to play together. They need continuity. They've had none. Titus Howard was his lowest run block scorer based on pro football focus. George Fant was their highest. And every time I looked up, he was missing block. And I went back and watched it in slow motion twice. And Laramie Tunsil was third among those linemen. None of them had a good grade on run blocking. Tunsil was uh, and Howard were outstanding on pass protection. They didn't give up a pressure, a sack, nothing. So, we need to see this line together for a few games before we start blaming it on Pierce. Now, I saw two times where he could have cut one way and gotten more yards that he didn't. And uh, part of the thing that he's having to learn is you don't look for contact. You try to avoid it in this system. But, no, the issue is not Damian Pierce. Yeah, yeah. I bet that's the new thing, John, for people is posting videos of Damian Pierce not seeing big holes to one side of the field and running to the other side of the field, which I, I don't think is totally unfair. I I don't entirely disagree with just how good a fit or bad a fit he is in this system, but I he's a talented football player. Like, I, I, I feel like especially – that's not a deep running back room. Like find some things that Damian Pierce does well and adapt your, your system to that. But yeah, like let's, let's get the same combo of five in front of him for a few games and then kind of see where it goes from there. Um, I'm with you on that. All right. Joe Q uh, frequent emailer to the podcast says, well, the angle of the team that has a better QB will win had only a bit more predictive power than a coin toss this past week. I haven't gone back to see if this is an aberration. I guess it is. I think QB's, get rated mostly on win-loss records. With regard to the Texans, how do you explain losing to a team with a bottom four quarterback despite winning the turnover battle two to nothing? John, what is your explanation if you had to explain to somebody, if you were responsible, John, 
to your employer for the Texans' performance this past weekend, and you had to go to your boss, and they're like, hey, you're responsible for these guys. Why were they so bad? Why did they lose when they won the turnover battle? What would your excuse be for them? What would your reasons be for them? They were missing uh, three uh, starting cornerbacks, counting Tavier Thomas, who starts in the nickel, and their linebackers best in coverage, Christian Harris, and they didn't get a sack. So if you're not getting better pressure on a quarterback, and Ritter's mobile, he didn't run a lot, but he can move around. And uh, you had that stat, I think it's 14 for 176 on the tight ends. And I went back and watched it after we talked about, and there were guys, corners, leaving the tight ends open as well as the safeties not getting over or the linebackers not dropping. But I think when you don't have a sack and your quarterback is mobile and you're missing four starters in your back, uh, back seven that that's going to have a back eight considering I'm talking about nickel it's going to have an effect and and it's and there were a couple of great catches that receivers made like Drake London but so many so much they were wide open wide open and I yeah. think that has more to do with you playing a lot of backups at corner do you subscribe to pro football focus John no you don't okay I get it everybody has it so I get it off there oh, okay okay but you okay so you don't literally subscribe to it, but you you do visit it and look at the scores oh, yeah. and things I like that? At, I look at that, next generation stats. I look at all those numbers because, uh, you know, the guys are not like their ex-NFL people doing it. In fact, Bobby Slowick spent three years at Pro Football Focus and speaks oh, yeah. very highly of it after he left Washington before he went to San Francisco. I've, if those guys were the ones grading, I'd feel better. But it's still interesting to keep to keep up with. Yeah. Um, the, uh, did you, I don't know if you realize this, you may have seen it. Blake Cashman is rated the best linebacker in all the NFL right now, according Isn't to that amazing. He's yeah. made big plays every time he's, he, he had, he was the only player with two tackles for loss. Yep. He always seems to be around the ball and I, I would never let him come off the field unless he needed a rest because he can drop, he can hit guys behind the line of scrimmage since he got healthy and he's, he's been hurt a lot. He needs to be on the field all the time. Um, all right. I just want to give a shout-out to Dario in Monterey, Mexico, who asked pretty much the same question that Neil in Liverpool did about the run game. But if you're listening in Mexico and you're emailing the show, I want to make sure you get some love. So, Dario, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. Charlie in England. John, the three of the first four are international. We got three international listeners and Joe Q emailing the show. Uh, Proof that American say, football is thriving overseas right now. Let me now. say, Dario, muchas gracias, senor. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Hang on. I got to uh, actually got to plug in my – I just got a notification from my laptop here that I am uh, running low on battery juice. So I'm going to read the next question and let you answer it, John, while Sounds I good. plug into the wall here. Um, this is from Charlie in England. Regular listener, first-time emailer, he says, after a promising start, how aggressive do you think – Nick Casario will be in adding talent at the trade deadline. This is, hey, John, this is fun just to have this question exist that the Texans might be active at the trade deadline, <laughs> is it not? And be a buyer instead of a seller. Well, the guy's already traded his number one pick. I don't see him doing a lot of that. You know, he's got low picks. He's certainly not going to trade the one he's got from, uh, uh, I don't, from Cleveland, but. I don't see them doing much. They bring in players constantly, put them on the practice squad. They churn the bottom of the roster. So, no, 
Uh, maybe it depends. Maybe at the trade deadline, if they're in first place or tied for first place, they might do something, but it certainly is not going to be doing something to make a splash because so often those deals are bummers that never work out because if a player's available at a time when you're in a race, there's a reason. John, I uh, I saw an article on CBSSports.com. You can already go ahead and load up your canned answer to this mere notion that I'm about to share with you here. Uh, but I was excited about this article. I don't think either of these things are going to happen, but it was one of these things like, hey, these are the these are the biggest names that might be available at the trade deadline, right? The quarterbacks, running backs, a couple wide receivers. And it, under each player after the blurb, it had potential suitors and it listed like three or four teams that could be in on that guy. And the Texans were listed as a potential suitor, John, for Devontae Adams and Cortland Sutton. From Denver. So go ahead and tell me, John. How, what do you think of that? That could happen, right? Or is that one of the Devontae Adams? Is that Let one of the I can put this? <clears throat> that is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. There you go. I needed they that catchphrase. The Raiders just won a game. They played the Patriots, and they should win a second game in a row. There's no way they're getting rid of Devontae Adams. Yep. Uh, dare to dream, John. Dare to dream, I suppose. Uh, Harry Bassist. That's this person's name, or I don't know if it describes them. If they're, a, I'm a Harry Bassist, but Harry Bassist uh, says, uh, "How did? Uh, oh my God! I only I. Sorry, Harry. I cut and pasted your question with just a pronoun in it. I'm a mess these last three minutes, John. Harry, you're gonna. I'm gonna have to shelf your question. Harry Bassist. I'm going to have to shelf your question until next week. I only cut and pasted the part with the pronoun. The question is, how did he become so successful over the years? I just don't know who he is, John. I forgot to cut and paste the first part of the question. Harry, we're sorry about that. We're so sorry. Yeah. Send, it, send it again next week. And oh, I've we got it, John. I've got it into my deleted item somewhere in our in our show uh, email page. Harry I, pro Harry, I promise to do two things next week. Not poke fun at your name. And I promise to repurpose this question. We're just not so used successful to... over the years. Yeah. So that must be a veteran because it wouldn't be Nico because he just became successful. Right. And he's the most improved player on the team. This is going to um, bother me. Boy, successful over the years. Somebody over the years. Unless, unless it was about D'Amico who's become successful at every level of his coaching yeah. career or something like yeah. that. But anyway, yeah. we John, apologize. I, 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 I'm gonna, yeah, my my bad, my bad, Harry. I'm sorry. I and, and I, you know what, John, I I'm gonna ask the next question to you and let you answer the question. And while we're doing that, I'm literally going into my inbox of the show email because this is gonna bother me for the rest of the day. All right, that I, let's do that it. I screwed Harry bassist over like this. <laughs> I, Harry I, just I, I got more. He just got more pub than any any writers. Ever He's loving it. You know, Harry's. I don't know Harry personally. I know several Harry bassists, but I don't know Harry bassist. So, um, uh, so I'm gonna go find out who this was. But in the meantime, John uh, Derwin in Cyprus, our good friend, had a couple of questions here. Uh, here's a baseball question for you, John. What are the odds of an AJ Hinch return after? Dusty is gone. Who are some of the others that might be available? I, I'm, I'm. If you want to go through a list of available managers in baseball, John, you can. I have, I, I haven't even thought about that, but I I'll do. I'll be think happy that, to do it. Go okay. find a deleted email. I, yeah, I will. I will. But what do you think about AJ Hinch? No way they're bringing AJ Hinch back. He got fired. There was a lot of bad blood there with him, Jim Crane. So that's not going to happen. Most people yeah. think if Dusty's not back, 
Joe Espada, their longtime bench coach, is very popular with the players, the media. Crane likes him, that he could be elevated. I have no idea what uh, the, uh, the new GM thinks about him. By the way, weird time to fire two-year top executives in the playoffs like mm-hmm. he did. Dana Brown, you know, he came, he watched, and then he's going to make moves. And uh, so the manager everybody wants is Craig Council at the Brewers. Oh, They consider Craig Council to be one of the best managers in baseball. He works with an ownership group that won't spend a lot of money. Now, his his former boss, David Stearns, who used to be with the Astros, Mm -hmm. has been hired to turn around the mess. And he fired Buck Showalter, and Billy uh, Epler left amid an investigation and something to do with their international money. So Craig Council's contract is up. Okay. Well, everybody in Milwaukee is praying that that they re-sign him and bring him back. And David Stearns is over there and seems to be a natural. You go from an owner who won't spend money to an owner who'll spend any amount of money. Teams see what's going on with the Rangers. They've spent so much money and uh, see the results you can get. Now, I'm not saying Craig Council's coming here. I don't think he'd come yeah. here. But I'm thinking that Joe Espada, knowing how popular and respected he is, the only thing that worries me about him, he's interviewed for like six or seven jobs and hasn't gotten any of them. But uh, I had some brief time watching him work in uh, spring training, and, boy, he was being sought out by a lot of people uh, who were there uh, in and out of the clubhouse. So he's very popular. That's that's what people think, even though nobody knows what Jim Crane is thinking. And Crane, of course, is the ultimate authority who will decide yes or no on whoever Dana Brown recommends. Um, I went to school with Craig Council. He's a year, I think, a year younger than me. Uh, he was on the baseball team at Notre Dame. Was he a star there? Yeah, of course. I mean, he ended up playing in the major league. So, yeah, he was a really good college player. He, I, I mean, he was – I. Baseball wasn't a huge sport at Notre Dame when I was there. It's only become big and, you know, probably since like 2000, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't been, it wasn't huge when I was there. Um, but yeah, council, I went to school with him. Uh, so he's obviously clearly a highly intelligent person. He is, um, he is Milwaukee. He finished his career there. He was a broadcaster yeah. there. Yep. Then he started going to a front office job. Then he goes to be the manager and every year, they either win the division or they compete for the division. And he's done it with a, you know, Christian Yellis, they paid a big contract for him. He hadn't been worth it, not like he was when he was an MVP. But if you think if you're if you're a manager and you can go with an owner, no matter how much pressure that owner puts on you, it must be really nice. Like Andrew Friedman, Houston yep. native, worked for the Rays, never spent money, waited until he got an offer of the Dodgers who spend a fortune and he's had enormous success up in the playoffs. And I'm guessing Greg council, if he doesn't go with David Stearns, he's never going to leave Milwaukee. Um, John, the mystery is solved. The person that Harry bassist was asking about, how did he become so successful over the years? Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan. Um, that's and the reason question. why, the reason why I didn't have it in there, he put Kyle Shanahan's name in the subject header of the email. And then the body of the email was, how did he become so successful over the years? And all I cut and pasted was the body of the email, not the subject. I've known Kyle a long time. He started off in quality control for uh, John Gruden in Tampa. Then he came here 
receivers, and then Gary could be like elevated him to offensive coordinator. We all knew he's going to be a head coach. I used to talk to him about being a head coach. So I said, well, maybe you hire your maybe you hire your daddy as a consultant or an offensive coordinator. He said, I might hire him as a quarterback coach. And everybody knew it was just a matter of time. And then he had he had he went to Cleveland and that was a disaster yeah. with Johnny Manziel. And he asked out of his contract. Then he went to Washington and really, despite all the great coaches on his staff there, they were terrible. Then he goes to Atlanta and they go to the Super Bowl. And then he gets hired with the uh, Niners in 2017. And two of the first coaches he hires are Bobby Slowick and D'Amico Ryans at the lower levels. He yeah. hires Robert Sulla to leave Seattle to come in as his defensive coordinator. He hired a bunch of people that had been with the Texans for like different departments. And uh, he's done everything but win a Super Bowl. And man, Sean, if they keep playing like they did against the Cowboys, they should win a Super Bowl. Might have won a Super Bowl last year if Jimmy G and Brock Purdy hadn't been hurt. Maybe. I don't know. That Eagles team felt like they were on a mission last year, John. I don't know. Uh, but you're right. And this year it's Super Bowl or bust, right? They don't win a Super Bowl. This year's a failure for the 49ers. Uh, it's all set up. Um, all right, last one, John, from Coach Middle Screen. Do you guys think C.J. Stroud and Deshaun Watson will trade jerseys after the Christmas Eve game at NRG Stadium? I believe they will because they have the same agent, David Mulligetta, mm. and I'm sure Stroud has spent time with Watson. And uh, uh, so, I, you know, football players, all athletes, they don't hold against other players what they've done off the field. If the teams deem them good enough to be on the field, they just let things slide. So I expect that we'd see Watson and Stroud hanging out on the field after that game at NRG Stadium. Okay. Where are you on the jersey swapping thing, John? You're old school. Do you think it's a good thing or do you like it or what? Is... You know, I haven't put any thought into it because I never see it. I'm always uh, in the media room, so I never see what okay. goes on after a game. I've never actually seen it, except maybe at the end of a game on TV. So okay. a lot John, of players collect now, so why not? But you, okay. You're acting like it's Bigfoot or something. Like you, you've seen footage of guys doing it. Well, like, of course, do you, of course. So, I've just so, never so seen it in person. Right. But I like, I'm talking about like from a, you know, from a standpoint of like, there's fans that are like, okay, I, I would like my guys to actually be angry after the game and not want to go cavort with the yeah, opponent. Those days are long over. Okay, that's that's the answer right there. Then you, you see don't, him you talking don't need... before games. You see him talking afterward. A lot of players okay. collect things. I have no problem with players swapping jerseys. I just you eventually answered it in the first time, but the way your answer was going, it sounded like you need to have witnessed it with your own eyes happening in real time to have an opinion on it. I'm like, yeah, who cares? I've just never, seen? I've just never seen it in person. Gotcha, gotcha. It was just funny to me. <laughs> um, all right, John, what do you got going on on SportsRadio610.com? I'm working on the Texans column as we speak. I'll have an Astros column on Thursday to see if they're coming back to Houston or they have finished off the Twins and they're preparing for the Rangers on Sunday. And uh, and uh, they'll be on SportsRadio610.com, something called the Utopia Football Podcast. Woo! Yeah, we love that. Uh, so um, the game, if there's a Friday game, it's a night game now, right? Because there's no Rangers-Orioles. I think it's a 7 o'clock start now on Friday night. It will be. It will be at night, and I'm glad because I, I love to watch the afternoon games, but when I'm going, I'd rather them be at night. Mm, okay. And night owl, John Lope, uh, John, uh, John McClain. Um, that'll be uh, 
Well, I hopefully there is no game five. I know if there is one, you're going, but hopefully there is no game five. Let's finish this Absolutely. thing tonight. Hopefully. Yep, hopefully that is the case. John, I enjoyed this as always. Sean, thank you very much. And uh thanks to everybody who listens and contributes questions. Yeah, we appreciate that. HOU mailbag at gmail.com is where you can send your questions. HOU mailbag at gmail.com. Of course, we thank James Jackson, our producer, for getting this podcast out to all of you. Does a phenomenal job making sure this is in uh, in your podcast. Uh, whatever whatever mechanism it is you choose to listen to podcasts, he makes sure that it's showing up there. And it shows up automatically if you click that subscribe button. Subscribe to the Utopia Football Podcast. You can get it automatically. And most of all, tell a friend, uh, especially a friend who's a Texans fan, about this podcast. John and I breaking it down three times a week during the season. Um, the next one will be on Friday. We'll preview the Saints and the Texans. We'll do a little for real or fugazi as well heading into week six. It's already week six of the NFL season. So for John McClain and James Jackson, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will see all of you. We'll be back for all of you, uh, I should say, uh, later on this week uh, for the next episode of the Utopia Football Podcast. In the meantime, have a great week, everybody. Go Strohs tonight.